everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Tennis One podcast here in the Tennis One app and on Spotify. We have a great show for you today, a special guest joining us. We're going to get into some Indian Wells chat, and I'll pass it over to you, Patrick, to get us going. Yeah, thanks, Madison. Before we get into Indian Wells, we got, we got to talk about Blair Henley, the tennis insider. This is uh, super excited to, to have you on here, Blair. So thanks for joining us. I think before we ask anything about your career, we gotta we gotta ask for a hedgehog update. We saw <laughs> that you have some, a hedgehog now, right? Uh, I, I am indeed. I would say I'm the proud owner, but I don't know that I'm the proud owner. I am the owner of a hedgehog um, who is still alive uh, almost three months later, which is a personal victory. Um, Glitter the hedgehog is doing great. Uh, far more high maintenance than I went in thinking she would be, which is you know, a rite of passage, I feel like when you get your first family pet. Uh, but thank you for checking. Glitter is uh, doing fantastically well and batting a thousand in her match predictions. She predicted the winner of the Dallas Open. So should you guys need a, a, another segment for Tennis One, uh, Hedgehog Predictions, you just let me know. Yeah, I actually saw that video. At, somehow I missed it when I was down because we, we officially met down in Dallas, right? Yep. And uh, yeah, I saw that video the other day, actually, when Madison told me you had a hedgehog and I was like, oh, I got to check this out. And then I saw the video of him picking Wu Bing. That was, yeah, bad a thousand. So we'll, yeah. maybe we'll have to get his takes on uh, some of the Indian ones. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, I found out, though, that glitter generally leans right. So whoever whoever I think the winner is going to be, I'm just going to put their sign on the right side. I have a right right leaning hedgehog. <laughs> That's hilarious. There we go. Did your daughters collectively decide on the name Glitter or did you kind of like have to, you know, one got to pick or how did that happen? I I gave some suggestions um, that I didn't think would be offensive or obnoxious to repeat over the three <laughs> four year lifespan of said hedgehog. So <laughs> gave some suggestions. They went with Glitter. Sparkle was a close second. Um, okay. There you go. That. It's perfect. Love it. <laughs> Well, yeah. So Blair, thanks again for joining us. You know, you, you're married with two daughters and a hedgehog, uh, but you're a tennis insider now. And I just wanted to kind of give our, our listeners a little picture of, of your career basically in tennis, because you, if people are just now finding out about you, I think they think of you as like a tennis insider, right? You're, you're at these tournaments, you're writing, you're on court, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, but actually you played college tennis and were teaching tennis for a long time, right? That is correct. I appreciate you calling me a tennis insider. I don't know that anyone's actually used that term to describe me, at least to me before. So thanks. Um, yeah. Makes me feel uh, makes me feel special. Um, I don't know that I uh, have a ton of inside info, but I have been very thankful and sounds corny, but very blessed to be able to work in the sport that I love and get to know a lot of the people who work in tennis, the players, the storylines, uh, the things that make people tick. The relationships are by far the, the most fun part of my job. It's it's getting to know people as humans. Obviously, there's the coworker relationship, but then also getting to know, um, again, the people behind the scenes as well as, as the players, just as humans. It's a really nice bonus and, and definitely the thing that I like the most about what I do. But yeah, started off uh, really, really was around tennis courts from a very young age. My dad's a tennis pro. 
uh, still is, still loves what he does as the director of tennis down at a club in Florida. And I was lucky enough to just get to hang at the courts. Uh, I'm guessing all of his, the pros that worked for him were super annoyed to have me around because I was always like, can we go out like just mini tennis for like 15 minutes? <laughs> I, I probably drew because they're all exhausted. It's like middle of the summer, they're teaching, you know, nine hours a day and somebody gets a cancellation and I'm like, I'll fill in. Um, so I had for, for a kid that loved tennis, it was the dream upbringing. Um, and, and yeah, tennis was my sport. Went and played college tennis at, at Rice University in Houston and taught for a little bit after that. I wasn't totally sure which direction I wanted to go in my life. And uh, very thankful that the doors uh, that opened did open. I, uh, my husband played baseball and we were traveling around really all of our belongings could fit in our car. And that's when I started writing because it really is, I mean, you know, I, at Rice, I had so many friends who went off and got investment banking jobs. I was an economics major. So I, that was a, a path that I, I could have gone uh, into and just didn't feel like it was for me. And then when you look at the other side of things, thinking like, hmm, can you make a career as a tennis writer? It's it's a it's a tough, that is a tough industry, the journalism industry in general. Uh, and then you you shrink it by a thousand when you're focusing on tennis. So uh I think being sort of separated from being able to have maybe a normal career because I was with Tyler and we were on the road and moving around every few months that gave me sort of the confidence to say, Hey, listen, it's now or never. So I started as a writer and one thing led to another. And here we are in 2023 and I'm doing a variety of things, uh, but very thankful to be where I am. It's interesting that you say you love tennis, like from the get go. Cause my dad also is a teaching pro and a director. No way. Love it. I like grew up going to the courts as well, but I have to say when I was a kid, I didn't really like it that much because <laughs> none of my friends played. I'm from like a small town in, in Illinois. You know, everybody's playing football and baseball and whatever else. So I was like going with my parents to tournaments on weekends and stuff. So I, I didn't like love it at first. I'm glad, mm -hmm. glad I did it, but it sounds like you liked it from the get-go. Yeah, I did. That's, that's interesting. I definitely think though, Patrick, I mean, you weren't, you, you made your own way. You didn't go the Trent route. True. Yeah. It, it, look, it looks way cooler now looking back, but at the time, <laughs> I was like at the time yeah, I hear you. So, um, well, yeah. So, so then you played college tennis, right. And you're, you won the first college championship, uh, sorry, conference championship for your team, right. In school history, which is super impressive. Cause I, I mean, I know how hard winning a conference championship is. So just kind of before we get into, you know, your professional career right now, what was, what was that <laughs> moment like for you? It was, it was so neat. I mean, college tennis, gosh, I could go on forever. If, if somebody has a chance to play college sports, um, even if it's not, even if, you know, say your goal is division one and it doesn't totally pan out for you, division two, division three, there are so many other amazing opportunities to play college sports where you still are going to get that feeling of, of playing alongside a team and being bonded really for life with these people and that I mean I still have a group text with my former teammates um, and we stay updated on each other's lives we try to have a reunion every couple of years uh, but again it really does I, I think there is a bond when you achieve something like that or when you're sort of in in the trenches together uh, and you're working hard and you have the bad days and you have the good days and you 
finish. And, you know, for us, it was nice. We were able to do something uh, for the first time uh, at Rice. So that was a nice bonus. But I think overall, it, it just was such an incredible experience playing college tennis, having that sort of built in friend group, everybody sort of understood one another. Uh, we still have, you know, stories, the, the stories that happen on road trips and <laughs> coaches and things that coaches say and <laughs> um, man, college coaches, by the way, props to them. That's one of the hard, <laughs> hardest jobs. Um, but again, I'm, that's another thing. I'm still in touch with um, Elizabeth Schmidt, who's the head coach now. She was my assistant coach my last two years. So I, I know, again, it sounds cheesy, but the relationships I think are are the thing that that you take away because you got to be a part of something really neat with that group of people. Definitely. What, what is that success feeling, you know, achieving that type of thing with some other people versus maybe a professional success that you have now, or like when you did the, the tennis now instructional videos, which if people don't know, like those got combined yeah. millions of views. Those yeah. Videos, so. uh, still guys, the most shocking development to buy for <laughs> Uh, the, the backstory there is we just needed some instruction content on tennis. Now, when I was working for that website and I was like, I, I think I can do it. I did not even really look at them before they went on the internet and lesson learned. Let's make sure we maybe do some editing. I mean, it worked out. I think (laughs) it's funny still to this day, I get approached at tournaments the most often regarding those instruction videos. Um, And that warms my heart because if somebody took one little thing that I said and was able to apply that on the tennis court, that's the best thing ever. Um, And, you know, when I was teaching as much as I don't know that I loved teaching as much as my dad does, for instance, he still to this day, never heard him complain about his job one one day ever. Genuinely love, love, loves it. Um, I, I liked it. But that feeling of being able to help someone enjoy the sport that I love, there's nothing more rewarding. So I was watching the one handed backhand Federer video because I have a two hander and I would like to have a one. So <laughs> it's never too late, Patrick. Yeah. No, I got to start now. Point, point tennis <laughs> about being cool. So I need to have the one, I think. There you go. There you go. So, okay. You, d- you do the tennis now videos. You were teaching. Where, where was the jump from teaching to getting into writing and, and covering tennis? And what was the hardest part about that? Because I think it takes a, a little bit of courage. I feel like, you know, we we're, Madison and I work at a startup and we're kind of getting experience in a lot of different areas. And like doing this podcast, we started this year. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of wonder like, oh, am I going to be good at this? And you just, you got to get the reps, I guess, you know, but what was hard for you about it? Well, you guys are getting the reps. I think what what I would say is just finding a way to get the experience. I mean, and you guys have done it. I've seen you, you know, Madison, I've seen your stuff and you're you're getting you are getting the reps and you're getting the experience and you're building some of those relationships um, that, again, in tennis are so helpful, because if you know so-and-so who might know so-and-so who might have access to so-and-so player after they get a big, you know, they, they win their first 250 or whatever it is. You just never know how those connections are going to um, benefit, benefit you down the road. Um, I definitely had no idea what I was doing. As I said, I was an economics major. I had, you know, I didn't know journalism ethics. I didn't know any of the basic things that I felt like I should probably know going into the the writing side of things. And I definitely didn't answer your previous question when you were asking about doing things individually. It is kind of a lonely road uh, and just sort of 
putting yourself out there, you get a lot of no's. I, I've had to develop a, a thick skin, um, but I, you just can't stop putting out the feelers. I, I just feel like you're never going to know unless you ask. And and the worst somebody that can say is no, um, or they just ghost you. That also happens. That, that happens they a don't lot respond. in startup life, <laughs> um, believe it or not. You get the no responses, but you don't know if you're going to get the no response until you ask. So you always, that's, that's just always been my personal motto when it comes to figuring out life as a freelancer in the tennis industry. I was, I was thankful to have, to get some of those writing reps for uh, worldtennismagazine.com back when Tyler was playing baseball again, just to, because like I said, I had no, it's, it's not like I had bylines that I was writing in college because I was in a journalism program. So being able to get some bylines through that, uh, just learn how to better write uh, for tennis and then um, I got the job at Tennis Now when Tyler finished baseball and had to go back to Rice to finish. And I was thinking like, you know, what do I do now? Um, and, and Tennis Now uh, sort of found me uh, in a lot of ways. And that website, again, there was freedom in being sort of a smaller startup-y type outlet. Uh, and I think that's something that I, hopefully you guys have seen too is, you can come up with an idea and as long as you can figure out how to fund it, as long as you can figure out the logistics, you, a lot of times, again, depending on who's driving the ship, you can make it happen. And, and I think just having that creative mindset and being like, have we tried this? Have we tried this? Do you know, the proverbial throwing things and, and seeing what sticks. So there was a huge benefit, even though we didn't have much of an infrastructure at tennis. Now there was a benefit in the fact that we did have a YouTube channel with essentially no rules. I could build fat however I wanted. I could get experience in front of the camera. I, you know, I don't know, some people have probably heard this story before, but I applied for credentials at Wimbledon thinking no shot. They're going to accept little old tennis now, um, you know, and, and me as a writer, but they did. And then I approached my, my boss and said, Hey, <laughs> I applied for credentials and they said, yes, is there any chance we can make this work? And to his credit, he said, I think we can. And then I'm in a media room with a lot of other far more experienced media people. And I got to meet all of those people. And then you maybe do that at another um, a tournament. I went to the Australian Open as well. And so again, it just, you've just got to keep throwing things out there, uh, whether that is creative ideas within your own place that you're working or what you're reaching outside of your little network and, and just seeing if somebody responds to an email. It's it, again, it sounds courting. It just is very easy to get discouraged. Um, especially when you're doing it all for yourself and you're like, Ugh. and also, especially if you have a job that can, you know, pay, pay the basic bills. <laughs> you're like, it's really much easier just to enjoy this and sit here and, and do my very clear cut job every day. But, um, I just think tennis has so much room to grow in terms of how it's covered still so much room. I mean, this could be a whole other podcast in itself. Don't worry. We might ask you a question about that later when we talk about <laughs> yeah. anyone else, but yeah, I, 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 I feel like unfortunately tennis is, is, and COVID drove it a little bit, just going in the opposite direction in terms of access and the access the players are willing to give and that's it's it's tough they 
there is a lot demanded of them, but you know, I was doing some research on the WTA 50th anniversary last year, and I was reading this one snippet where it was talking about Billie Jean King, you know, at the very beginning of the WTA's formation, when she was finishing press at, you know, 9, 10 at night, and then waking up at 6 a.m. to do radio interviews the next day, because promoting the tour was so significantly on her shoulders and also maybe to a slightly lesser extent, you know, the rest of that group that decided, okay, we're going to break away and we're going to do our own thing. I don't think that that's reasonable given the demands of the tour today. I do wish that with agents and players, there was maybe more of a mentality of, Hey, the more that people can see us as, as people and, and the more access we give to, again, to an extent, the more engaging our sport becomes. And I think we've seen that with full, the full swing, the, the golf Netflix show. There's just a little bit more, the guard is down just a little bit more. Um, and I think just a marginal gain on, on that side of things can really make a big difference in how the sport is portrayed. Um, so anyway, I just took you on, <laughs> we went down no. a rabbit hole there, but, but I just, uh, I, I think that there's a lot of room in tennis to do bigger and better things. And if you are a creative person and you have ideas, I think eventually somebody will listen. <laughs> That's my pep talk for today, guys. You've got this. Love it. So good. It's funny because I said the exact same thing to Madison this morning because we both watched Breakpoint to talk about it on our podcast. But I said, did you watch, you know, the golf show Full Swing? Because I, I did think that show got more into the characters. It showed people that weren't in the top 20, you know, like the Joel Damon episode was maybe the best one for me, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. And there are so many stories like that. But but tennis is really myopic, I think, in in the and I think the big three have spoiled us, right? Because it's, they sure. have sucked so much of the attention for so long and they've been at the very top. And so it's easy for us to get conditioned thinking, well, the only exciting things are happening at the top. But that is one of the things I love about working 250s is you get to see a Wu Bing come in at ranked 97 in the world, win the tournament. And it's like, oh my gosh, I just watched a star being born. But right at least in the States, I don't think people know much about said star. So great. I get the chance to explain to people why they should love this kid, why, why he's going to be so good, what his background is, what his backstory is. Tennis just has to do a better job of that in my humble opinion. <laughs> the 250, I mean, seeing Rybakov get his first, you know, yes. final, I mean, just, yeah, those are yeah. all so fun. There are so many reasons to care about more people than are in the top 10 the and top 20. Yeah. so many awesome stories. So uh, many cool just, stories. You know, the resources are just not only in terms of actual prize money, but also other, you know, media resources are just allotted very heavily at, at the top. So no. Well, speaking of Dallas, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, that's where we kind of officially met, but I, I got to, you know, I've seen you around obviously on social media and at tournaments, but this, I really got to see your, your work ethic, frankly. Um, and we had Mike Cation on during the Dallas open on our podcast. And I think Madison, I kind of think of, of you two in a similar vein, right? Cause I, I think you guys work so hard. I actually saw that he sent you all his college notes, right. In a box. 
<laughs> Guys, the nicest thing I've ever received in the mail. No joke. I had no idea he was going to do that, but I am, I haven't signed anything yet. So nothing's official, but most likely I'm going to be doing some college work in the month of May and whether or not those people who are in that box are going to be there, we don't know yet, but there's so much uh, props to the people who cover college tennis, crack rackets, those guys. It's to, to get to know players when there are very few resources to get to know about them is not only do you have to do the work, but you have to dig for the facts. It's not like the facts are always easy to come by. So yes, Mike Cation, um, one of the hardest workers I know, and he has put in the time and the grind over the years. And I'm so glad to see him, you know, seeing some of the fruits of his labor, but it's also nice when those people who are having success are fantastic people. And, and Mike is one of those because that was like the greatest care package. It's just, just, just a box full of index cards. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the thing ever. Because <laughs> it's going to be so helpful just in, yes. in some of the blanks of these people that I'm going to be getting to know in the next couple of months. So shout out to Mike Cation. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's it's it really is on individuals a lot of times to really drive promoting the sport, especially at, you know, the college, the challenger, the 250 level. I mean, just watching you in Dallas, I could see, you know, you're you're up at the top of the stands watching center court. You're obviously thinking, what am I going to ask this player who depending on who wins? So you got to have notes for both. You're then in between matches going to the media room, like giving notes to some of the writers on, you know, who are local and maybe not tennis specific people and like, ah, oh, here's what we need to say. And, you know, like you just and you're doing your own social media and you're promoting the tournament on there. And it's like, man, you're just running around. I you know what I, I will say, I feel like the ultimate luxury is to have a job where you're only doing one job. <laughs> That is having worked in tennis. And I think anybody in tennis will say the same. It so rarely happens, but every once in a while I get a job and I'm like, wait, I just have to do this one job. <laughs> and it's like, what is, what is this like? I don't, what am I doing with myself? I'm only waiting to do this one job. Well, it, I do wish, listen, in a perfect world, you might be able to focus more on your actual area of, of concentration and feel like, you know, you're not getting a B plus in all those things, but you're getting an A plus in a couple of things versus a B plus in several things. Um, yeah, in a perfect world, that would be great. That's not the reality in tennis. It's not the reality of somebody who wasn't a former top hundred player. Um, it just is a fact. And so there are things that I have to do to sort of try to make my own place in the sport having, again, I, I play tennis at a, at a pretty high level, but not having on paper what people automatically consider to be expert knowledge. You really do have to perhaps uh, look for other opportunities, maybe, maybe work a little harder in terms of finding other inroads. So I've, I've accepted that and gosh, if only I were a little bit better guys, it might've been, might've been easier for me, but, but no, it definitely, um, I, I do think it helps you get to know more areas of the sport. Um, it's, it's the old, you know, the starting in the mail room and working your way up. Um, it's, it's kind of the same concept because I have had to sort of figure it out and I haven't had a, a name to come in on and, and rely on 
it's probably made me better at my job. Um, it's, I've certainly learned more. I probably met more people from that. So again, I, I appreciate that aspect of it for sure. There is definitely, you know, the hope that maybe one day I can have an, a specific job title where that's all I'm doing. And I can actually focus on being really great at that one thing. <laughs> um, in the meantime, though, happy to, you know, make sure I'm always brushing up on my social media and writing for the programs and whatever it is. Um, happy to help. And, you know, it's it's part of being in the tennis world. And I've met a lot of great people through that. Well, I would say you're almost between like a Chris Fowler and name your pro former pro tennis player who commentates, you know, you're like, that is the biggest compliment ever. Like, so I you the professional part of it, but you also are a really good player. Now, did you win like 18 grand slams? No, but like tennis has so many levels, you know, and I mean, like I play D2, you know, and there's yeah. people that can whoop my ass and there's people that, yeah, like, you know, it's just, it's just tennis. But, um, I one one more question for you before we yep. get into talking about Indian Wells, which Madison's gonna gonna grill you on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, we, the nature of working in, in the sport the way you do, you work in stints, right? And for that week of the tournament or ten days or whatever it is, it's like insane hours. And obviously, we mentioned that you have two daughters, a husband, a hedgehog. <laughs> what kind of makes it worth for you? Because you have to travel a lot, right? And then you're yeah. gone for sort of long stretches. And mm -hmm. uh, I think Madison and I and, and Laura at Tennis One, we starting to experience that when we go to tournaments and yeah. there for, you know, 10 days and oh, we're, we're doing two tournaments back to back. And then it's like, oh, so yeah, it's a grind. Uh, it's it's for sure a grind. I I definitely have to think hard about the things that I say yes to and the competitive side of me, for, for the competitive side of me, that's hard because I want to be the best that I can be. The, I want to get the absolute most out of the abilities that, that I have. And I just can't say yes to everything. Um, and this is not to say I have job offers like coming out the wazoo that I, <laughs> I don't want to phrase it that way. But uh, there are definitely, I have to really think hard about the scheduling aspect of things. I, I often say that I could travel the same number of days, but if it were for smaller snippets, it would be a complete game changer. You know, I'm, I'll be gone for 12 days for Indian Wells and it's just hard. It's hard to be gone that long, um, especially when there are kids in the picture. And, but we talk about it. I talk about it with them where we make sure we have conversations. They're six and seven. So they're to the point where they can sort of understand it. And I say, you know, I know this is hard, but because I do this, I can also be home when I'm home. You know, I can go on the class field trip like I did uh, this week to the Fort Worth Science Museum. You know, there are things that I'm able to do because because I work while I'm away, I can do more with them while I'm home. Uh, and so to this point, I think the benefits of that have outweighed the challenges, but it's one of those things where you just have to kind of keep your finger on the pulse at all times, because maybe there's going to come a time when there are more extracurriculars or who knows, one of them struggling in school, whatever it is, where I where possibly that's not going to be the case where we're me leaving for those periods of time is, is not going to be still a net positive, both for me and for them. So, you know, constantly checking in it's adulting is hard. <laughs> it is, it is hard. <laughs> really what it boils down to adulting is just hard. Um, but, uh, you know, for now, thankful for the tournaments that I do get to go to and you know I need to make the most of them while I'm there. 
Well, Indian Wells is one of them. It's coming up next week. We're going to talk about that next. We're just going to take a quick break. We'll get back to Blair in a second, but we first wanted to congratulate the class of 2023 for the International Tennis Hall of Fame as they welcomed wheelchair tennis greats Esther Verheer and Rick Draney. You can find the videos of their on-court introduction from Rotterdam on the International Tennis Hall of Fame Instagram that's at Tennis Hall of Fame. So go check out their introductions and the uh, videos. They have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff, interviews, all of that on Hall of Fame social. Okay, Blair, you mentioned you're going to be in Indian Wells for 12 days. Can you just kind of talk us through, you know, your first opportunity getting to work this fifth Grand Slam and just kind of what your day-to-day looks like for those who don't know what you do? I think my first year in Indian Wells was 2017. I guess that's when you know you're getting old when you're like, I'm not really sure. It was back, back way back when. Um, no, so I I was thankful to get a chance to do that. I, again, like I said, I think in 2017, I started on Stadium 4. Um, I am now on Stadium 3. It's the party court at Indian Wells. If people are not <laughs> aware, come come visit um, where, where the party goes down. And um, I, I actually really enjoy that court. I think it ha- it's like a 4,000-seat 4, stadium, um, a little bit on the smaller side, but really fun atmosphere. I, again, it is sort of feeling of being out amongst amongst the people. The big stadiums are great. Uh, they're that is a special feel unto itself, but I, especially early in the tournament when people are buying grounds passes and I just love the feel of, of a stadium three to me, it's just perfect. And you, you get, I mean, it's funny. Uh, last year we got Carlos Alcaraz out there a couple of times, Crazy. which <laughs> is so funny. I had a friend who happened to be on that court and he took a picture of me interviewing Carlitos and, and after the tournament, I think it might've been after Miami, he sent it to me and he was like, sending you this because he'll never be on stadium three again. <laughs> and I was like, you are correct. <laughs> um, so to answer your question about my job description, really anytime I MC, whether it's stadium three at Indian Wells or you know, doing Armstrong at the US Open, or sometimes I get to do Ash. It is, um, for the most part, writing bios for the players, introducing them onto the court. I do a lot of sort of stage manager stuff too. So if the players arrive early and it's not 11.01 yet, which is when we get to walk them onto the court, I get to give them the great news that guys, sorry, you have one minute to wait here in the corner with all these people <laughs> swarming around you, uh, looking at you like an animal in a cage. Uh, but yeah, so there's the stage manager aspect of things. Um, I introduce them out onto the court when I get the cue that it's time to go while they're warming up. I read their bios, which I generally, for the most part, write myself. Uh, and then any sort of in-stadium promotions that falls on me or PA reads, all those things, voice of God stuff. And then at the end, I will do the post-match interview. And depending on where I am, I will sometimes do make sure they're signing the tennis balls, uh, which is a thing I did in Indian Wells last year. Normally I don't do that. Somehow I ended up doing that last year and found that it was kind of like the hairstylist chair you got to ask like random, like, where are you going to go for dinner tonight? You know, and just random, random questions that you have time to sort of ask when they're assigning the balls. Like I I, am trying to remember another instance, uh, but there were several times where I was like, this is, this is kind of a fun time to, again, it's, it's the relationship building. It's talking to them without a microphone, without a camera, 
which is helpful in the long run. So I was like, maybe I should, maybe I should facilitate the ball signing more often. Um, right. Added add job description, but I, but I enjoyed it. Um, so that is in general what the tennis MC job entails, whether it's you know on on any court uh, throughout the world. And you definitely, obviously, are very involved with the coverage. This year, big storyline again is Novak Djokovic. Do you have any insight, you know, on if he's going to be there? We know that, you know, the decision is going to be made on Monday. Um, We just wondered if you could give us just a little extra, if you have anything to kind of let fans know what's going on with that. I wish I had. I know I was billed as the tennis insider. I have no here on you get the tennis ball sign that's when you get your inside there you go exactly yeah. what juicy i can get for you uh, during tennis ball signing this year but one thing i will say just sort of watching this all play out and knowing at least from what i've read that the tournaments uh indian wells and miami are involved in some way and in, in maybe trying to help facilitate him being able to play the fact that that is happening an exception is they're trying to make an exception for Novak on paper. That is what's happening. And there really isn't, again, I I like to think I have my finger on the pulse and there really is no major uproar pushback about that. I think speaks to the fact that we all feel like he should be able to play or we, I shouldn't say y'all, I don't want to speak for everyone. I, I think most people feel like at this point, just let the guy come in and play because really on paper if you know rewind a couple of years or a year and a couple of months and you have a tournament possibly getting involved in a governmental matter uh to make an exception for a professional athlete a year and a couple months ago that was disastrous and obviously (laughs) so many things have have changed um you know in the spring of 2023 I hope he can play. Uh, I, I don't have any info on whether or not that's going to happen. I, I hope it works out though. I think, I think at this point, no, especially knowing that, that it's going to be that it, a was extended from January in the first place and that it's going to be fine for him to come into the States in April. I hope that they can, they, they can make an adjustment for him. I, I'm my guess though, is that the rest of the field hopes that they don't make it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say I wonder how the players feel about that but yeah, yeah. It, it could be uh could be interesting I know that you have to go shortly so we'll kind of I know we asked you last year we did a crowd live with you when you were at Indian Wells we asked you to make some predictions oh, gosh, that was yeah. kind of in the midst of the tournament so I know that was a little bit easier but maybe could you just give us you know players that you, you people should keep their eye out for and that they should really pay attention to for this mm-hmm. year's Indian Wells on I both mean, sides, on the men's side, hoping that that Carlitos and that leg is is fine and he can play. There, there's been no no news that I've missed. I've I've been I've been a little detached this week. I haven't missed any Carlitos withdrawal news, have I? No, no, no. Um, no. Obviously, given the way that he is playing, clearly he needed didn't even need a warm up just came right back out and picked up right where he left off uh so man that's so much fun to see i would love to see him do great in indian wells taylor fritz seems to be playing some ridiculously good tennis i almost fear it's too good uh it'll be interesting to see what happens in the semis and finals in in acapulco some sometimes you want to have like a little bit of 
you know, where you're where you're not coming in on the mountaintop, you're coming in, you know, maybe on like that one plateau just below the mountaintop. Um, so we'll see how how that goes for Taylor. I would also say watch out for Cam Nori, who's had success in Indian Wells yeah. before and has had a great start to his year as well. And also started off playing on clay, which I know Indian Wells, I think it's very easy to think of it as a fast, uh, you know, a, a place where things are playing quickly. It plays relatively slow from everything I I understand. And so I, I think that, I don't know, maybe for Cam's game um, coming from the clay to the hard, that won't be that tough of an adjustment. I think that's why Medvedev maybe hasn't had great success at Indian Wells, right? He's not usually good on the sl- like clay, the slower surfaces, because um, I don't think yeah. he's made it past the fourth round. Yes, he has not. You are. I just I actually looked that up. I, was like, I don't think the meal's a factor in Indian Wells. Maybe he'll surprise us. Um, on the women's side, gosh, I mean, it's it's hard to hard. bet against Iga, but I also think Barbora is coming, guys. I I don't think I think Dubai was was not. I think I don't know. I just feel like she's coming. I felt like, like that from the very beginning of the year. And she's one of those players who I, some players I worry about when they have a lot of success going into another big event, like people who do really great before the U.S. Open. I always worry just a little bit for them. That's not a feeling I have with her. I feel, I just feel like she has an incredible ability to sort of separate herself from expectations, hype. She just truly believes she is better I think, again, I don't want to speak for her, but I think she believes that she's better than anybody that she steps on the court against. And it does not matter if she's won the last, you know, 15 matches she's played. I think, I don't think that affects her in that way. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how Iga rebounds from, from that final as well against Barbora. Yeah. I, I like that. I kind of, I, I like to watch her play. She's, she's, she's so fun. fun. Um, <laughs> so it's, her game style is so fun. Her personality is fun. I, I'm fully on board the, uh, the Barbora train for sure. Yeah. Well, Blair, we want to thank you for joining us. We know you, you got to head out. Um, but yeah, thanks for being on our, on our podcast. And I'll be down at Indian Wells for five days. I'll be coming out to court three for sure for the party court. So um, yeah. Amazing. Nice. Bring, bring anything you think would be appropriate for a party. I'm not going to promote any. <laughs> Here, but you know <laughs> okay i like what, it well you know i'm not credentialed it's not like official working well so. there you go there you go i'll be watching the party court from tv so i'll, I'll be watching the party court <laughs> uh, well guys keep up the good work seriously you're you're doing awesome things so thanks for having me 